Is it thrown all the way to the right? Uh, if the two circles not overlapping each other. You mean the number eight? There's Is two circles. Is it a diagram, a circle, a, a butt? That's called cardioid. <laughs> <laughs> so it's boobies, there's a single nipple, there's the butt, and then there's two boobies squished together. Yes. So we want boobies not squished together. We are boobies not squished together. Then we're doing fine. Okay. Microphone technology, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Say hello to the people. Hello, the people. Welcome to episode whatever this is, six, seven, something like that. I've lost all track. Yeah, I, whatever. Welcome to the show. We're back after an extended holiday break. Yeah. Elections happened. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> Halloween and Thanksgiving. And yeah. We've had our hands full lately, but we're still alive somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Today is a special episode because we are having our first guest on the show. Woo-hoo. We've had a lot of people ask to be on the show. and uh, I don't know why we have like five episodes. The thing that none of them have done so far is just sort of show up with a story. <laughs> yeah. Also quarantine before. And that's our, literally our only criteria. Yeah. And so our very first guest will be our buddy Crash. Super excited. Yeah, he's a dude. <laughs> and he did just test negative for coronavirus. Yeah, that's why he's allowed in the recording <laughs> Yeah, that's studio. the other reason. He just got a negative corona test. <laughs> Anyways, before Crash gets here and we delight you with our stories for today, I do have some updates from last time and Sarah has some stuff too. Mm-hmm. If you didn't listen to the last big episode, you can go back and listen to it or just skip like 10 minutes until Crash gets here. But first, last time I talked about the Amen Break, which is the most sampled piece of music in history. And I left some stuff out and I also got some stuff wrong. Oh. So this is corrections and omissions. Oh, okay. First of all, so I mentioned the place I got this story from is a documentary called Can I Get an Amen? by Nate Harrison. Hmm? Kind of breezed over that. Nate Harrison is not a documentarian. He's actually an artist. Oh. He's an artist and a writer. Hmm? And he specializes in making art about music and intellectual property. Like physical media art or like... Yes. Oh, okay. So this isn't like a documentary you watch on Netflix. This isn't a podcast. The Can I Get an Amen documentary is an art installation. Interesting. That's really cool. So it's physically been displayed in museums. And so what you do is you walk into this room at a museum and there's a table and there's a record player on top and there's a record and there's a pair of headphones and you're allowed to interact with it. And so Mm -hmm. if you go pick up the headphones, put them on and play the record, it's Nate Harrison talking about the history of the Amen and then a bunch of samples, kind of like I did, of different places it was used. That's really cool. But it's all playing on a vinyl record. This isn't like a podcast. It's a vinyl record. He made a record. He made a record. That's so cool. And he actually made it out of acetate. Because if you print a record to keep forever, it's printed on vinyl Mm -hmm. because it lasts longer. It's an acetate record, which is what the DJs would use because they're these cheap kind of waxy records. And so what you could do is record a track at home, go get a cheap acetate copy printed, and then go play it in the club that night. Mm -hmm. But they wear out after a few dozen, hundred plays or something like that. So when it was originally exhibited, you had to be in the museum, go put the headphones on and listen to it. Now, fortunately now, do you can go watch a video on YouTube, which is just the record spinning, and you can hear the whole documentary. It's also yeah. available on his website. But yeah, originally it was a physical art installation. Okay, that's really cool. And Nate Harrison's a cool guy too. He's got a doctorate, and he's all about music history and intellectual property. But the way he displays his research and stuff is these physical installations. This sounds like a guy that you would get lost. Super dope. <laughs> to. Yeah, that's Super really dope. cool. <laughs> I dig it. Okay, my story last time was about the Blue Whale Challenge, which is a moral panic, basically. Everybody freaked out about something on the internet that didn't actually that, yeah, that didn't actually exist. And then by freaking out about it, they kind of put it into a fruition of making it exist. Mm-hmm. Um, not the happiest topic because there were actual deaths. The main blue whale thing was in Russia. 
Yeah. It didn't hop over to the UK. It didn't hop over to America much outside of like some Facebook posts. Right. But I have some of the different countries, kind of how the blue whale played out. Tunisia, March 12th, 2018. So the parents of seven children claimed their children had killed themselves due to the blue whale challenge. And they requested a ban on the game from the Tunisian courts. I don't know if it was all seven of them. There are two supporting articles on Wikipedia. They're both in languages and scripts that I could not read and Google Translate could not translate well. That's impressive. Yeah. I would be shocked if seven children committed suicide and it was because of an online game challenge. Um, trial court issued an interim judgment prohibiting blue whale-like games, which they didn't really exist Prohibiting in fake internet games? Basically, yes. Okay. You'll see this happens a couple of times. It's basically they're making rules for something that didn't exist in the first place to prevent it from existing in the future. Isn't that kind of the whole story, though? <laughs> All right. So I got a couple corrections here. I never grew up without cassettes and CDs. So uh, some of my OG vinyl music terminology was wrong. And I know oh. that there's probably like some collector out there who listens and gets mad about this. So I'm just going to go ahead and clear the air now. The first thing is I used the term album and record interchangeably. Interesting. Those are two different things. Yes. The record is the physical disc and they come in several varieties. The most common are a single or an album. A single is one or two songs. An album is the bigger, longer, slower RPM, so you can get like 10, 15 songs on there. So I use those two terms interchangeably. Don't kill me. I know that a record and an album are different. Amen Brother was a single, and a single is always a record, but a record isn't always a single. An album is always a record, but a record isn't always an album. I was born in 88. Fuck you. (laughs) That's funny. I was just looking at who was up for Grammys, Mm. and it's album of the year, record of the year, and then like song of the year, something like that. And I was like, what the fuck is the difference between an album and a record? Yeah. Yeah, and so even when it's not physical, there still is a metaphorical difference now based on the physical difference originally that you just explained. They carried that over to the Grammys as different awards. Right. Album is full length. Record is technically a recording of any kind. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting, but I was just looking that up the other day. Timely. Yeah. The other correction is I also use the term DJ and producer interchangeably. And those are also two different things. The producer is the one who, in the studio, helps the musicians create music. The DJ is the one live who's actually up there with turntables playing the backing music for the rapper live. Now, in the late 70s and the 80s, while hip-hop was still kind of underground, those were usually the same person. The producer who made the song with the rapper was usually also the guy who would go to the club with them and play it behind them that night. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say this is I credited... Toya Hansen, the DJ of Salt and Peppa, I was wondering with sampling the Amen. She was their DJ. She was their live music mixer mm-hmm. player person, but she was not their producer. Most likely, as far as I can tell, the person who actually made that track was a producer called Herbie Lovebug Azor. Lovebug? Yeah. <laughs> well, he's Herbie. <laughs> and Herbie hit it big, being the producer of Salt and Pepper, but he's also known as the producer of Kid and Play. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. And so credit for finding that beat should go to him. DJs and producers, different animals. Uh, next location we are traveling to is beautiful Brazil. Hey, butts. Butts. Anyways, so Brazil had no official confirmed cases, period. But it did reach the media. And so they were like, oh, in Russia, there is this thing. There is this challenge on the internet. Beware of your children. So it's like the satanic panic where they announce it's a thing and then everyone starts seeing it. Yes, exactly. So I thought this was actually kind of cute. In Brazil, a designer slash publicity agent heard about that and decided to create a movement called Balea Rosa, which is pink whale. Aww. Yeah. And they got hundreds of volunteers to recruit children to do positive tasks. Mm. So like, look in the mirror and say that you love yourself today. Go do your homework. Give somebody a compliment. Go help somebody buy groceries. Like that kind of cute Brush stuff. For exactly. Just just like draw a picture of somebody that you care about. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I thought that was really sweet. So instead of panicking, somebody in Brazil decided to create a positive version of the challenge. Brazil, weirdly rooted. Must be the butts. God damn it. So, 
I kind of ended my story with like a gotcha, right? Mm -hmm. Which is that the original song was kind of plagiarized. That was a good ending. Turns out I didn't go deep enough. Oh, deeper. Deeper and deeper. There are layers to this, like an onion. Like an ogre. Like an ogre. Okay. So I said that the Winston stole Amen Brother from the Impressions Amen. Mm -hmm. Turns out the Impressions didn't write Amen either. (laughs) What? No, it's a traditional black spiritual. It's been sung for time immemorial in black churches. But, you know, I didn't know that because what the fuck do I know about spirituals? Or church. Yeah, so the impressions were just doing a sort of zhuzhed up cover of a church hymn. Now, you can definitely say that the Winstons stole the arrangement from the impressions, but you can't really say they plagiarized a song because it's been sung for years. But my gotcha is not invalid. There is a way better example, and it's the one I should have used in the episode. So I'm just going to do it now to kind of make amends to the black church going community. Amens. Go home. Um, so listen to this. This is the beginning of Amen Brother from 1969. You got that in your head? Mm-hmm. So this is the beginning of We're a Winner by the Impressions from 1967. exact same beat. Totally. That's why it's like, I don't see how what the Winstons did with the Impressions music is any different than what, you know, the hip-hop artist did. Yeah, totally. I mean, Nobody's I think that's... fully original, you know? Yeah. What do you got? Our next location is wonderful, mysterious Egypt. Ooh. Sphinxes. Sand. April 2018. Local news claimed that a 12-year-old schoolboy committed suicide by taking poisonous tablets. Oh, where do you get those? You know, I don't know. All of these updates, I actually found the original news articles, tried to translate most of them, and there is not somehow in 2020 a sophisticated enough translation tool. Dialect is rough. Yeah. Deep credit to the people of Wikipedia who got people to read these articles that I can't read. Yeah. And then summarize them. So I basically got it directly from the Wikipedia article. So credit to them. Yes, I have donated. Don't bug me about it. (laughs) Quit it with the pop-ups. Yeah. (laughs) I got a warning the other day on Wikipedia that's like, you visited our website 27 times in the last 48 hours. Could you please donate? And I was like... Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Here's fifty dollars, Glow. And then yeah, two days later they're like, please donate two dollars. I'm like, why well, just did the I just did it's me, it's Sarah. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, the reason that this was attached to the blue whale challenge is because supposedly, allegedly, he had a scar in the shape of a blue whale. Oh, like like he'd cut it into himself. This sounds like nothing. I think that he probably had gotten, like, an injury somewhere, and it might have possibly looked like a smudge of a whale. Or had any cut, and they yeah. just read on the internet. Yeah, this is super, like, local news stretched it quite a bit to make it more panic. I mean, you gotta sell those ads, right? Uh, yeah, you gotta do it. Anyways, so that was Egypt 2018. Interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, this one's a correction, too. <laughs> the entire last episode, I referred to Bowie as Sir David Bowie, because I remembered him getting a knighthood, no, what actually happened was in 2003, he was offered a knighthood. Mm-hmm. Him and Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger accepted, but we turned it down because he thought it was silly. He was like, why would I go get knighted? What? What are you talking about? What? Yeah, he literally was offered a knighthood to be up there in the ranks with like McCartney and such. Like Sir Elton John, exactly. Sir McCartney and Sir Mick Jagger. Right. And, and he was just like, no, what? That's weird. 
and just I like ignored love it. David Bowie. He just so straight up ignored it. He was like, "This seems like super irrelevant. I'm just gonna not." <laughs> um. What's next on Sarah's Suicide World tour? <laughs> Why did you say that? Say it like you're excited about it. Do it. <laughs> Next on our world tour of suicide. <laughs> India. Ah. Classic India. The land of heat and delicious food. 2017, the media reported that there were several cases linked to the Blue Whale Challenge. The government requested from Google, Facebook, and Yahoo. I guess they still believe Yahoo was a thing in 2017. <laughs> remove any links connected to Blue Whale. They didn't ask for Bing. <laughs> <laughs> the shade. Wow. The only people who use Bing search are the people who are too tech illiterate to change their homepage from msn.com. What blows my mind is people think MSN is a legitimate news website, not realizing that it's Microsoft News. No, it came free with the computer. And so it's literally just what Microsoft is aggregating that they think you would like to see. I'm and sure that's not biased for their corporate profit at all. Right. And it's always an article that is copied and pasted onto their website from like Associated Press. Right. So it could be a legitimate article. No. But you have to check where they copy and paste the article they, from. They think of MSN as this, like, long-standing old media empire, like NBC, Like CBS. it's BBC or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not. It's Microsoft News, and you get it free with the computer your yeah. son probably bought you. It's the because... same as going to news.google.com. <laughs> right. And it will change depending on what links you click on. Oh, it shows you what it knows you want to click on. Yeah. Small pet peeve. Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> back to 2017. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so they requested quite a few social media places remove all links related to the Blue Whale Challenge. The Supreme Court asked Indian central government to ban the game, but they couldn't because it, quote unquote, was not an app or a legitimate thing to track. You can't ban an idea. That's exactly what they argued. There's like, we can't ban a topic. It's like the people going around saying, why isn't Antifa illegal? Or yeah. why, why don't we ban QAnon? Why? Right. And it's like, you can't ban an idea. You can't ban yeah, a concept. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's not something that we could literally, it's not like a thing that we could actually ban access to. You can't arrest or sue a concept. No, like we can ban TikTok in America, but we can't ban the idea of dumb teens singing to stuff. Right. They're, they're going to just find another app. <laughs> yeah, they're going to go on YouTube. To do dumb shit and send it to each other. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in 2018, they had a full investigation. No evidence was found in India that Blue Whale Challenge even existed. Shocker. Shocking. It doesn't exist yet again. But the food's good. So good. <laughs> so, Amen Brother is the most sampled music form of any kind in history, but specifically the most sampled breakbeat in history. So, I named all these genres last time that are based around breakbeats. The Amen Break, by a wide margin, is the most common, but it's not the only one. There's a ton of these. And so, I thought it'd be kind of cool to throw in a few breakbeat honorable mentions. Mm -hmm. So, for comparison, number one, the most common one, the Amen Break, is in about 4,800 songs, up from 4,700 last time we talked. Wow. Number two, with 2,700 songs, is 1972's Think by Lynn Collins. Specifically that first part with the woo! <laughs> oh, yeah, that is in... Everything. Yeah, I can think of at least 15 different songs. I want to rock right now. Nah. <laughs> I'm Rob Bass and I came to get down. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number three with 1,600 songs is 1970s Funky Drummer by James Brown. <sighs> and this one I love so much because for a full minute before the drum break actually happens, you know how James Brown is chatty? Mm -hmm. He's just talking to his band and he literally breaks down and defines what a drum break is and tells them to do it. I love that. One more time, I want to give the drummer some of this funky soul we got here. 
You don't have to do no soloing, brother. Just keep what you got. Don't turn it loose. Cause it's a mother. When I count to four, I want everybody to lay out and let the drummer go. And when I count to four, I want you to come back in. <laughs> and then. One, two, three, four, get it. He like mm-hmm. explains exactly how a drum break is. Yeah. It's so fucking funny. I love that. Yeah, and this is like seven minutes into a nine-minute song. <laughs> All James Brown songs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is past the point where there was anything written down to do, and they're just fucking around, as it should be. Yeah, agreed. And then my final one, number four, with 800 songs, is 1973's Synthetic Substitution by Melvin Bliss. And this one's really interesting because it has the same story as the Amen. Not a well-known artist. It was the B-side of a song that did kind of marginally okay, and then it was sort of completely forgotten about for a long time. So you won't recognize the song, but you'll recognize the beat. listen to that whole song but it sounds fantastic it's uh, Synthetic Substitution by Melvin Bliss so those are like the top break beats okay interesting I recognize all of those well you've heard them a thousand times yes evidently okay my last destination on our world trip of suicide swear I'm not a horrible person Saudi Arabia Beautiful Saudi Arabia. July 15th, 2018. Following suicides of two teens, the Saudi Arabia General Commission for Audiovisual Media, which is a thing, banned 47 video games. Motherfucker. (laughs) That's why I included this one. I thought it'd make you grumpy. Including Roblox, Grand Theft Auto V, Assassin's Creed II, and The Witcher 3. Motherfucking Roblox? What? I know. The rest of those make sense. Kind of. You can murder a lot of people in all those games. Well, not because they murder people, because allegedly they had online components that could be possibly linked to being part of the Blue Whale game. The player chat. Literally. Yes. That was it. Oh. Those are my updates. Cool. On to a less depressing topic. All right. On with the show. Welcome to Poo Poo Pointless! Pew 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 pew! Hi! <laughs> <laughs> we have a guest today. His name is Crash. We are stoked. Crash, welcome to the party, buddy. Thank you, man. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm honored. Okay, how are we doing this? So, who's going first? We could do just the classic Cards Against Humanity style where whoever pooped last. Uh, I shit right before you got here. You win. I pooped right before this. I really? think I pooped yesterday. Like, yeah. just now? Like, while I was here? Yeah. And so you pooped yesterday? Yeah, I haven't pooped all day. Does that mean I go first? I think it does, yeah. That's cool. All right, Sarah, you frequent shitter. What's your topic for today? (laughs) Today, I'll be telling you two about the Akashinga. 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 I think I got that on my nuts once. Is that like a... Didn't David Hasselhoff sing that song once? (laughs) Okay, start this off with a quote by Dr. James Emin Quigger Egre. He's born in Ghana. If you educate a man, you educate an individual. But if you educate a woman, you educate a whole nation. So, do you guys know what poaching is? Kill animals when you're not supposed to. It's actually pretty accurate, yeah. Yeah. Illegal hunting, capturing of wild animals. Do you know what trophy hunting is? 
kill an animal. Put it on your wall. Yeah, but they're like a rare animal. And usually there's money involved. Like, you pay a lot of money to do it. It's actually the legal hunting of an animal. Usually on preserves, right? Yeah, so it's legal. Hunting of a selected wildlife, usually to take home a trophy. So a head, a tusk, something like that. Some Texan wants a rhino head on his wall, and some preserve in Africa wants to get rid of this dickhead rhino that's fucking shit up, Mm -hmm. and so they make a deal. Yeah, trophy hunting is usually under a government license. Yeah. It's usually big animals, so rhinos, elephants, large cats, that kind of thing. And it is completely legal. Poaching is not. Poaching is like the ivory trade shit. Yes, poaching is not necessarily always a negative thing, but it's frequently done by people who are unable to have proper jobs, and they do it for the community. So it's not always done by, like, assholes. Sometimes it's done by poor people trying to survive. Or sometimes it's done by indigenous people doing their normal hunting. Might be, like, the classist separation between poaching and, like... There is, yeah. There is a really interesting history of classifying indigenous people hunting Uh, in their traditional way as poaching. Okay, yeah. Kind of like Faroe Island shit with, like, the whale hunting. Yes. Or, like, Um, the disputes with the tribes around here about fishing. Yeah. Yes. So sometimes people will call that poaching when it's actually not. Um, What we're talking about in this story specifically is definitely illegal poaching for profit in a not good way. Okay. So, just clarifying that. Cool. Um, also, weird note, there's a thing called canned hunting, which I didn't know was a thing. Evidently, there are reserves that breed large animals. Tigers and lions are the most popular ones. And they breed them specifically to be trapped in, like, a small area for people to come and just hunt them. That is so dark. So, they are raised from a cub in a 10 by 10 fenced in area to just be shot. Fish in a barrel. That's why they call it canned hunting. Oh. <laughs> I'm sad. But we're starting on a low note here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like... <laughs> That's kind of fun. <laughs> Tossman teased me. He's like, you never do happy topics. This is going to get empowering in a couple seconds, but I have to get the negative out of the Let's get her. Power. Power. So most of what I got was from an article on Discover Wildlife, a BBC documentary, and a National Geographic documentary. Specifically from an article on Discover Wildlife with Mark Carwardine. He's a conservationist and a BBC wildlife columnist explaining why this kind of hunting is a controversial topic because there are a lot of people who are like, I should be able to hunt animals if they're a problem to their pack. You know, if there's an alpha male lion who's killing other local wildlife, they will allow people to go and hunt them. It's an extremely controversial topic because some people say that it is beneficial to the wildlife to hunt them and kill them. What this guy says, allowing endangered species to be killed for sport is counterintuitive. Poachers are slaughtering about 100 elephants and three to four rhinos every day. So allowing trophy hunters to kill yet more seems absurd. Critics are also concerned about the mixed message it sends local people. They can't hunt their own endangered species, but rich Westerners can. Yeah, we got lots of money, big dicks. I think trophy hunting, (laughs) a lot of the issue is you can import rich white people to go and hunt your local population, but they can't kill them for food. Yeah, the the poor local population. Exactly. (laughs) So with trophy hunting, there's a lot of issues with classism. What the fuck does any of this have to do with educated women? Can we hunt them? It's a gray area. (laughs) (laughs) I hear it's actually pink meat. It's a pink area. (laughs) Okay, what the fuck does this have to do with educated women? Let me fucking tell you. Akashinga, also known as the Brave Ones in Shona, which is a local dialect in Ghana. Africa's first armed all-women anti-poaching ranger unit. Fucking it. Sweet comic book. Right. I, I watched a movie about that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Start at the beginning. So, there's a guy, Damien Mander. Born in 1979, he's an Australian anti-poaching activist, former Royal Australian Navy. He's also Special Ops Military. This guy is like a jacked Australian military sniper dude, and he's got tattoos all over his body. So, guy goes in the military, winds up getting stationed in Iraq, sees blood and death, 
kind of gets tired of it. He traveled to Africa after his military service. He learned about poaching in South Africa. Not into it. And he realized that a lot of these criminal poaching networks were using military connections. So he's like, okay, there's no way that this random guy who grew up in this hut over here all of a sudden has, like, military-grade equipment. He fell off the truck. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's no fucking way. So this is, like, a proud ex-military guy seeing what he used to be proud of used for negative influence. And he has a fucking issue with it. Mm, gets all frowny. Yeah. Starts he, flexing a little. Yeah, he flexes a little. His tattoos contract a little on his biceps. Sweating a little bit. Visualize I'm getting distracted. Oh, like <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting distracted. Yeah. He's upset about <laughs> Take it. Take me roughly from behind, good sir. <laughs> so he's upset and he realizes, he's like, well, I'm a specialized military person. I could probably actually do something about this. What he does is he volunteered with an anti-poaching unit in Zambezi National Park in Victoria Falls, Zimbabwe. And he becomes extremely passionate about anti-poaching. He uses his military training, his special ops training, to stop people from killing the natural wildlife. If you kill this bird, I'll kill you back. Exactly, yeah. He's like, <laughs> I will find you. <laughs> and I will kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I have a certain set of skills. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. I find this really sweet, this guy who's like, I did special ops, and I went to Iraq, and I killed people, and all of a sudden, my new life passion is saving animals. Yeah. Like, and mercenary. Ah, save the elephants. Ah. <laughs> Anyways, so at some point he gets so involved in this entire culture that in 2009 he uses his entire life savings. He liquidates all of his investments from the military and he founds the International Anti-Poaching Foundation, IAPF. He builds a ranger training station and he decides that he's going to train people the way that he was trained in the special ops to be anti-poachers. Crap, my God. Yeah, pepper and little Great. Kill you five ways my thumb. Fuck yeah, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. All right. He buys a two-seater aircraft. He buys vehicles. Whoa. Yeah, so he just sells everything he owns. Personally funds all this shit? Personally funds everything to make a military-esque anti-poaching What a ranger. life, man. What a badass. He's just fucking, right? I'm going to buy a bunch of planes and tanks. We're going to save these like, goddamn giraffes. Yeah, house. Yeah, sell it. So this guy created the anti-poaching unit. He's training all these rangers and he winds up expanding like crazy. He winds up going to South Africa. He goes to Kenya, Australia, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, and establishes anti-poaching units in all these different places. Is it all under like one umbrella? Uh, yeah, under the IAPF. He uses that foundation to start units in all these, but ranger base units. Mm -hmm. So they're not just like, the three of us show up and we're like, hey, I'm a little tipsy. You need anybody to hug an elephant? <laughs> yeah. I'd do it. No, these, these people, they have weapons. They're going through ranger training. They got planes, dude. Over the last decade, so from 2010 to now. The IAPF has helped protect over 10 million acres of African wilderness. That's dope. 2015, Damien Mander is like, this seek and destroy thing is not really working for me. Because he's like, oh, there's a problem in Zimbabwe. I'm going to do this. Oh, this is a problem in Mozambique. I'm going to do this. Like, it's like herding cats over here. Yeah. Like, yeah. Poachers are like, well, he's in Zimbabwe now. We got to go back to Kenya. Like, yeah, right. Oh, fuck. Well, it's, it's like if you have skin cancer and you just keep taking off the moles, but you don't actually do chemotherapy. Yeah. They're treating the symptoms, but they're not curing the disease. Yeah. They're band-aiding. <laughs> Delicious. Um... <laughs> He realizes, I'm not going to do anything without engaging the local communities. If you don't teach people how to do something for themselves, they'll just keep relying on you to do it for them. And also, support. 
you can't just bring in these strangers from out of nowhere to fix something if you don't engage the local community because sometimes the problem is the local it's community. It's got to be a cultural thing. And yeah. Not well, like sometimes that. the local... change the idea. Precisely. And sometimes the local community is the source of the poachers. Mm-hmm. If you don't contact them and work with them, you can't solve it. It's like yeah. a not talking to an addict about their addiction. Yeah, don't put the addict in jail. You know, send them to treatment. Precisely. Yeah. So, Davey Amanda actually does a really good job of realizing my ranger anti-poaching units are doing good work, but they're not doing the work. So... Interestingly enough, Damien found this in a New York Times article, and it was an increase of women graduating the U.S. Army's elite ranger school, and they had a higher success rate than the men. And there's a couple ideas that, one, they were thought to not be able to succeed in the first place, and so they were driven to do it. Two, they'd already been through so much adversity that the ranger school training was not that hard for them. So, yeah, by the time they got right. to that point, exactly. the kind of woman that's going to be able to get in that program. Right. They're like, I've been sexually assaulted. I've been abused by my parents. I've already <laughs> right. done oh, this. Oh, this shit? Like, yeah, oh, this, this cute. shit? This cute. Like, I, oh, this cute. This is great. Yeah, go ahead and right. stab me. Probably a little tough. Yeah. Man, blah, at least half the guys. At least they mentally, just kind of yeah. waltzed in with their big dicks and their biceps. And yeah, stuff. Exactly. yeah. Yeah. So like, I punch stuff. <laughs> Uh, I'm dead. Yeah. <laughs> so Damien- I broke a wall in my face once. <laughs> <laughs> so Damien read this article and he was like, if these women can succeed in U.S. Ranger School, why the fuck wouldn't this work for my program? Why wouldn't it work for African women to go ahead and join my Ranger School? So he goes for the funding. He starts talking to local governments. He's like, hey, I want to start a program with women. He'd found that women were less susceptible to bribery. They were really adept at de-escalation. It specifically, if the program is women-focused, it also acts as funds that he can't get for his men's programs, which is a little sketchy. Yeah, I'm looking for those charities that fund women's programs, so maybe I can get a little bit of that action kind of thing. (laughs) He was doing it because he realized that his men's programs weren't working. So he's like, hey, I want to start a women's anti-poaching ranger unit. I need access to a wildlife site to build upon. And everyone's like, fuck you. Why would you focus on women? Men are the only people who can deal with poachers. Really? It yeah. was just the girls thing that we're getting it, pissed off about? Yes. Yeah, why are <laughs> you shocked about Borat kind of logic. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. He's like, what we the We don't fuck? have a cage big enough yeah. for this many women. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's just like trying to make it work. The reason he's specifically targeting local locations, he says, local people have a vested interest in where they come from and where they live as opposed to foreigners who don't. Which I think makes sense. Like, that's right, yeah. 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 He searches for months for a trial site. A whole bunch of men turn him down. He stops in Zimbabwe. And he finally finds Zimbabwe's <laughs> Fundundu Wildlife Area, which is a 115 square mile former trophy hunting tract. It borders 29 different communities. Commercially, they were just absolutely dead. There was a huge U.S. ban on trophy hunting in specific areas, which is good but shitty because a lot of these small communities really relied on trophy hunting to make money for their community. I don't know. I feel like, obviously, trophy hunting was kind of fucked up. You got to break some things down sometimes mm-hmm. in order to rebuild into a more sustainable or... Find or, a different avenue of trade. Yeah, I, I think was, basing your entire community's financial income off of killing an animal... Yeah, it's not sustainable... Off of any specific thing. In it's, terms it's, of... It's kind of like, well, this whole community relies on the funds provided by, I don't know, sex tourism. It's like, maybe your community's broken if you're relying on this one or like trash thing. Have you seen that shit about like trash scavengers in Africa? Like all the waste just gets shipped there, and they like find old cell phones and stuff. Oh and, like, yeah, take all the precious metals out of it. Like that's, yeah, yeah, but they're literally like all dying of cancer because of all this waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are a bunch of dudes who their whole job is to try and recover data off discarded hard drives. <laughs> Jesus, and that's all they're. I've never heard of that. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. I watched, I watched <laughs> this whole thing Christ. about it. It's fascinating. Like they spend all day walking over these trash dumps looking for computers yeah. and such. And it's like okay, Laptop. yeah, like their community yeah. thrives off it. Like, 
like, you can't just ban that. I mean, maybe let's deal with the root yeah, cause exactly, here. Exactly. Which is probably well, we what you're getting with. at. Ah! <laughs> Addressing a root cause versus band-aiding the symptoms. Okay. Persistente. Bada-bing, bada-boo. Bada-boo. Proceed. <laughs> <laughs> so, he finds a wildlife preserve. It's huge. And they're finally like, you know what? Our economy is dead. Do what you want. Fine. Obviously, don't harm the animals. But, like, if you want to set up a ranger unit, like, great, go ahead. The manager's willing to take that risk. So, Jan Sanders, she was the director of the wildlife park. She invited Mander to help negotiate a 46-year lease. Because that means that they're not trophy hunting for 46 years. That means that they're... 46-year lease. 46, yeah. So, 2017, Damien built a basic tented camp. And then he put out word to surrounding villages. And he's like, hey... I need a ranger unit. I'm specifically only looking for women in the nearby area. Keep in mind, there are about 29 communities in this area. He's like, statistics show that if I go local, it'll be more successful. Yeah. And specifically, if I go local women, it will be even more successful. And that effort will go back into their own community. This guy's so cool. Right. Yeah. His entire focus is trying to build up communities within themselves. Mm-hmm. So he's like, hey, are there any women in your area that have specifically experienced trauma? So he didn't want... Karen or Barbara from next door who's rich and white and whatever. He's looking for suburbia. He's looking for women who have suffered trauma. And not just like I had a cut last week. He's looking for like AIDS orphans, women who have survived sexual assaults, domestic violence, women who have really had to fight for their life. To party. Sorry, I had to. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I've had too much wine. Uh, Anyways, his logic is who better to task with protecting exploited animals than women who have suffered from exploitation. And I love that. He invites women to a selection course. So he models it after his special forces training, and they go through three days, like three full fucking days of nonstop exercises, according to him, to test the four pillars of misery. Angry, cold, wet, tired. Dude, that is miserable, all those things. Right? I don't don't like being angry. I hate being cold. Only wet sometimes. Wet sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Tired, fuck you. Yeah, that all sucks. Why do we play rugby? (laughs) (laughs) There are tasks such as packing up a 200-pound tent, dragging it up a mountain with their legs tied together, and then reassembling it. One more time. So, you're at the bottom of a mountain, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Your legs are tied together. My legs. Yep, your legs. All of a sudden, you have a 200-pound tent on your back. Oh, jeez. It's only a slight difference. I'm already kind of fat. Well, now you're twice as fat. Oh, fuck. (laughs) I'm definitely laying on my belly. Now you need to take this up a mountain. With the legs still tied together. With your legs still tied together, yep. And then with your legs still tied together at the top of the mountain, reassemble that tent. I mean, you gotta find a path. Is there a trail? Mm -hmm. There's probably no trail, right? It's fucking Africa. Oh, I'd just die. (laughs) That's all I would do. I would just lay down and die in that situation. Also, of 37 recruits that they had, only three of them quit after those three days. Really? Three out of 37. that bullshit? Oh, my Of just just insane, angry, cold, tired, wet. I feel like tired is underselling it. Yeah, exhausted. Yeah. Being cold by itself sucks. Being wet by itself can suck. Being cold and wet is like a whole different level. That makes me angry, and then I'm tired. (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, only three women quit. 16 of them were chosen for the actual program. Damien Mander remarked on this that years ago, when first starting his ranger unit, he ran a similar course for 189 men. At the end of day one, all of them but three quit. Oh, shit. He said, we thought we were putting the women through hell, but it turns out they've already been through it. So the first day of the Akashinga, 
there were 16 women. They prepped for two raids. My Official, raid. like, like day one, okay. like, oh, let's get to work, guys. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They went on. through the training program. Well, you had your first day of work there? Like, Jesus. hey, like, like, you know, it's like, oh, here's where we keep our towels. Yeah. So, yeah, hop on the truck. Let's go find some dudes. <laughs> what? Yeah. The first day of active duty, they were prepping for two raids. One was on a compound of a guy with an unlicensed rifle to kill wildlife. And the other was on a suspected poacher allegedly selling leopard skin. They find and handcuff the guy in the compound with an unlicensed rifle. They can't find the guy who's selling leopard skin. They go, no sleep. They're just hunting him and they do not sleep because they are determined to catch this guy. After 24 hours, they finally catch him. The next night, they catch a suspected elephant poacher as well. Efficiency here. Yeah. First weekend out. And they are successful within 48 hours on both of their tasks. If you go and watch the National Geographic documentary directed by James Cameron, actually. Really? Yeah. Uh, a lot of CGI. A lot of unnecessary underwater footage for Africa. <laughs> why are these women underwater and why are they blue? <laughs> and he's like, uh, explosion disappears. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really cool to watch. On that point, I'd like to talk about two of the main women that I saw, at least. Petronella Chigumbura. She's 30 and she's a ranger and she's an instructor. She's like one of the main instructors now. She's a single mother of two. She lives in Nyamakate in the Furungawe district. She's the youngest of seven. Both of her parents passed away before she finished her education. In 2010, she got married thinking it would lead to a better life. Obviously, it did not. Her problem started soon after her second child. She found out her husband was having an affair and he just literally ran away. And she struggled to feed herself and her two children. She started selling tomatoes, veggies, anything she could to survive. And she had to move away from her original village. She was able to finally divorce in 2016. She had no money, no place to live. And so she moved in with her brother. 2017, a local advisor approached her about the Akashinga and her brother encouraged her to join. And she is now the lead in the anti-poaching women's unit. So she's able to take care of her and her two kids. Which is basically a ninja. I have feelings about these women. I have feelings. I think a little bit different, <laughs> but kind of the but, same. Yeah. I'm bisexual, so probably not different. <laughs> no, <it's laughs> I think they're about the same. <laughs> you also have a fear boner. <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. I will show you photos of these women later. I'm just like... Oh, I, was, I thought you were going to go with the fear boner photos. I didn't, okay. <laughs> Other. Spotlight. Nirazo Hodo, 28, also a ranger. She has an eight-year-old daughter named Tyriro. No. She's from Huyo Village. She has eight siblings and she was born very poor. She was forced to drop out of school and then she got married at 20 because she had no other option to survive. Her husband was violent and abusive towards her, forced her into hard labor for his own family. So he's like, hey, go build this ditch. Meanwhile, she doesn't reap any of the benefits. Just no, she doesn't get the money. She doesn't get anything. And he sits at home. It, yeah, it's forced what labor. What a dick. 2015, <laughs> she finally built up the courage to divorce him and leave. And she returned home. But her father had passed away. So she wound up looking after her family of eight. 2017, she takes her chance to join the Akashinga and she becomes a ranger. After a year, she was able to buy a block of land in her community. She got her driver's license and she now sent both of her children to school. And she also supports her two younger brothers. Cool. Ranger shit. She said, I am strong today because I've been weak. I'm fearless today because I've been afraid. Damien Mander. He said, the women are now the leaders. I'm expendable. They're the ones taking this program forward. For so long, we've been blinded by our egos from seeing the most powerful force in nature, and that's a woman's instinct to protect. Basically what it sounds like is, it's not like this guy came in and made these women badass. These women were already fucking superheroes to begin with. He showed up and he was like, I've got something I want to do. Is it possible this local sort of untapped force of nature can help me with this? And they were like, 
fuck yeah, we'll <laughs> yeah. climb a mountain with our legs tied together. I'll, I'll be a force of nature taking care of my family either way. Yeah. I just got a platform that I can be this badass mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. fucking use that more than just fucking selling tomatoes and right. shit throw to me survive. A name, throw me a name tag, I'll fuck. Yeah. <laughs> These women, fuck. There is an oath that these women take when they join the Akashinga. I want to use my skills and training to protect these animals, to protect this land. In this mission, I am prepared to give my life. This is my duty. I am Akashinga. I am a brave one. You are now Akashinga. Got chills. That's the story of the Akashinga. Mike. And they're still operating today. Savage story. They got like some sort of social media. Like you got to be able to follow these fucking women. Oh, honey, let me show you. Oh, yeah. You can probably kick my ass. You look way more serious about everything that I am. (laughs) (laughs) Highly recommend listeners here to research how intense these ladies are. If cops is no more, like, come on. Like, there's material out here. Yeah. Like, this is what the people want to see. I want to see those ladies putting these dudes in handcuffs. I will put on the website ways that you can donate to anti-poaching units, including the IAPF and the Akashinga. Right on. (sighs) Rad. Oh, wait, I shit second most yeah, recent. Damn it, no. Okay, I'm going to tell you, cocksuckers, about Sylvester Graham. Good, strong name. Slaw Graham was born in 1794 in Suffield. That's in Connecticut. He's an American. Okay. One of the first Americans. That's like, yeah. just past being American was a thing. We're talking very early America, yeah. And so he had a pretty fucked up childhood. Not a fucked up childhood in that he was abused necessarily, but he was born the youngest of 17 siblings. <laughs> what the? 17? 17. He was the youngest. Yeah. How old were his parents when he had them? His father was... 29. <laughs> <laughs> Just great love this guy. Great Shy of 16. <laughs> Just like six triplets. <laughs> you didn't get out of fucking about. Yeah. Uh, no, when he was born, his dad was 70 years old. That's a man, man, right there. That's I'm not like, taking back the great cum thing. Uh, my vagina hurts now. I was just thinking about that. Right. So, well, I think by number 12, they just kind of slide on right now. <laughs> just insert the shoot. Out comes the baby. She's got a constant, like, little, like, pouch. My wife, in case one drops my out. My wife is built like a concrete truck. <laughs> Instead of a diaper, it's like a baby hammock that she just wears constantly between her legs. Welcome to the 1700s America, people. <laughs> Okay, so number 17. <laughs> right. Very good number. Um, so his dad died when he was two years old. Makes sense. Because he was 75 yeah, yeah, yeah. in the 1700s. Was it an involuntary death or was it a voluntary death? Because I feel like if I had 17 kids, it'd be a voluntary death. <laughs> I would put myself out of my own like, We're talking about a strong camel here. Yeah. We're talking a very strong camel. It took Super 17 strong. straws. Right. And he, was, and he was like, I can't deal with it anymore. Yeah. The 17th was the worst. <laughs> Uh, good news, though, guys. His mom was completely insane. Oh, oh good, like, good, good, good. Like, she... Well, I mean, she had 17 She kids. shot 17 human yeah. beings out of her chute. <laughs> so she... She spit. How was she insane? Like, bipolar? Uh, all I have is the records from 1794. You, you know <laughs> Which, which are pretty, uh... Back then, she could have just been, like, a feminist, and they'd be like, she's mentally insane. Yeah. 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 She was marked as unstable and crazy, which checks out because she had 17 kids. I'm not going to argue with that. We um, did that voluntarily. So little Sly went to go live with one of his relatives, and that family happened to own a tavern. And he was employed there. And keep in mind, this is a shitty, dirty 1800s bar. We're talking like whores. Yeah, and everywhere. like bad men with Just no teeth. Yeah. Barf. Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the piss. That was how he was raised. Yes. Yeah. So he had a lot of illnesses when he was young, too. Probably from being coughed on by toothless bar hookers and yeah, shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know. And so the trauma from 
growing up in that environment made him hate drinking. He hated alcohol. And because he hated alcohol, also made him deeply religious. Okay. Because he was like, this is not a godly place. Yeah. And then his many illnesses also made him very fascinated with health. Like the idea of medicine and, and healthy living and that kind of thing from a very young age. Well, so eventually he got out of that terrible environment and he went to college to become a minister. And uh, from all accounts, he did really well. Because he was so impassioned by his, like, young life in these terrible circumstances, he spoke with great skill, and so he could preach from the pulpit with, like, incredible passion. And he was very popular at school with the ladies. He was also a good-looking dude. So he got, like, a hot bastard preacher. Right, good-looking. And, and, like, he's talked to enough people by all the people coming in there that he, yeah. know, he knows what people are. Right, right. But he's so also slightly jaded. Yeah, no, he's very fucked in the head. Yeah. Very mm-hmm. jaded from his early yeah, experiences, yeah. but he's pretty, he's charming. Right, he's picked up skills yeah. in this fuckery. He's a very skilled orator, which sounds like a robot that sucks dicks, but I don't think that's what that means. That's exactly what I think every time I hear orator. Really? Yeah. Auto orator. <laughs> I'm the orator Level 5, six orator. I can deep those eight inches. All I'm picturing is Arnold Schwarzenegger's head. Like, yeah, I, I, I went straight to Arnold as well. <laughs> Alright, so the dudes at college did not like this guy because A, he was getting better grades than them, B, all the ladies liked him, and C, he wouldn't go out and drink with them. He wasn't like a chill dude they could hang out with. Yeah. He was very cold and very like straight and narrow, but also like way more skilled. They're like, we're working out here. Right. And so unfortunately, his classmates conspired to have him kicked out of school. They spread rumors and reported to the staff that he was being super rapey with the women on campus. And was he actually being rapey? By all accounts, he wasn't. He actually had a massive fear of women and sex. That's inappropriate. Yeah, absolutely. I can't defend it. You got the weird guy and, like, it makes you uncomfortable. It's like the cool kids conspired to have the weird guy kicked out of school. Okay. The staff were like, well, all these cool kids who can have a rational conversation and are, like, popular say he's being really rapey. Now, I talked to that kid, and it's like staring at a shark's eyes, like a doll's eyes, you know. So after he was kicked out of college, he had, like, sort of a breakdown. And so he kind of got lost for a few years, turned up again on the East Coast, and his life started turning around. He found a girl called Sarah Earl, and he married her, and he started working as a preacher. And apparently he was very, very good at it. And, of course, he got involved in the temperance movement. I don't know how familiar y'all are with the temperance movement. Not at all. So about every hundred years, a bunch of religious wackos decide that alcohol is evil and try and ban it. Okay. We're actually due for one right now. The last one was in the 20s. That was the Prohibition. Prohibition. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. hundred years before that, in the 1820s, was the temperance movement. And so these people got together and decided alcohol was the root of all evil. You'd get shamed if you were caught with a beer kind of thing. Nothing legal. I'll drink to that. Yeah. yeah. You're here. There it is. Lady. Right. To the temperance, temperance movement. There we go. <laughs> So he got involved in that, of course he did, because he hated alcohol and he loved Jesus. So right around this time, there was a massive worldwide cholera pandemic. I don't know how familiar with cholera you are. It's not a thing that really happens anymore. It's very Mm -hmm. curable now. But back in the day, it was a very, very deadly disease. And it broke out around the world, Africa, Europe. And uh, the thing that sucks about cholera is that if you have a full-blown case and you are not treated by modern medicine, which they didn't have back then, basically it's like having a flu, but it doesn't go away. And so cholera will kill you because you start puking and then you get mad diarrhea and you puke and you shit until you die. That is terrible. Like you die of dehydration (laughs) because you cannot stop puking and shitting. Cholera sucks. You literally just die shitting. Right. You can't keep anything down, but you can't stop pooping either. And so it's literally like you deflate. Oh my God. It's awful. 
It's very curable now. Cholera is not a thing anymore. But at the time, it was this whole like pandemic. It spread all around the whole fucking world. They had no idea what it was. Most people at the time took it as a sign that God hated them. It was very religious folks with no real scientific knowledge. And God says, well, you've strayed from my flock, so you're all going to puke and shit till you die. <laughs> you know? So the modern medical opinions at the time is the way to cure cholera was basically the equivalent of stop being a pussy. You see, you cure cholera by working harder, eating a lot of meat, drinking a bunch of wine and not eating vegetables. And I like that. I like that because there's no like point of reference. Like even if you're doing it fucking all out, you get caught. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't do enough, obviously. Right, clearly. Should, like, you yeah, you should drink more yeah, wine, eat more yeah, meat. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was the mindset though. That was yeah. the cure is yeah. quit being a bitch, eat more meat and stop eating so much cabbage. So obviously our, our boy Sly is not down oh, with this. Oh, he, he's not down he's with the not eating down meat. with it. Think about it. Drink oh, a lot yeah, of wine. Oh, yeah, the wine, the wine thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He hates alcohol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And so, sort of like by proxy, because he doesn't like alcohol, he also decides meat's evil. They got kind of associated together. Right, with exactly. Yeah. So, if these folks are saying, eat a bunch of meat, drink a bunch of wine, but they're all dying by puking and shitting themselves to death, mm-hmm. I'm going to go opposite of that. So, not only is alcohol evil, meat's evil, too. And he becomes a hard-ass vegetarian. Because it turns out most of the people in the temperance movement are kind of out there wackos, and a couple of them he meets are also vegetarians. So he mm-hmm. says meat's evil, booze is evil, and he becomes a health preacher. So he actually kind of goes away from the church on this, because if there's anything Christians love, it's meat and wine, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And he decides sober vegetarianism is the way. Old school straight edge metal shit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. He's that straight edge kid straight edge, yeah. who won't shut up about how dope straight edge is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but like 200 years ago, he's yeah. totally that guy. <laughs> he develops his entire theology around this diet. In his mind, the way to godliness is entirely based around what you eat and that pleasure is bad. Oh, this guy should be one of those things. Everything that causes pleasure is negative. Sex is bad. Alcohol is bad. Meat is bad. I feel a lot of cults starting this way. Kind of like, hundred percent what this is. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're getting culty. This is culty. It's hundred percent a cult. So his whole theology is that to be a better person and to be perfect and holy and most importantly immune to cholera, mm-hmm. you have to drink a diet of pure water, not tap water. You have to do like rainwater. Damn. You have to have completely unseasoned vegetables, no fancy toppings or nothing, just fucking boiled cabbage and shit, and only. Only coarse, rough, homemade whole wheat bread. He goes harder than that, too, because it's not just food. He also says pleasure is bad. And so he preaches that hot water is bad. Oh! They had warm water by then. They didn't have running hot water, but you could, like, boil it on the stove and stuff. He said warm baths are bad. So you only bathe in cold water. Mattress and pillows are bad. Can't be comfortable. You can only sleep on a hard surface. This guy was so warped as a kid that he now just, like... Suffering is the way. Suffering is the way. And this guy's a, he got a silver tongue. He's, he's a convincing motherfucker. He's, he's a great preacher. He's, yeah. he's a Jim Jones type. Gained a lot of followers. And then in 1832, he's 36 years old at this point, the cholera epidemic hits New York City hard. Even back then, it was the most populous place mm-hmm. in America, right? It hits New York fucking hard. And there's like thousands of people dying on the streets by shitting and puking themselves. <laughs> God, that's the worst. <laughs> it's like New Orleans, like one a year every day. <laughs> every day. Every day. <laughs> Just sprinkler out both ends, then dead. Yeah. I this is the first time that people have been vomiting daily in New York. No, but like thousands of people dying on the street by puking shit. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's relatively new. 
<laughs> really, yeah, most of Well, but here's the thing. Sly's followers survived the pandemic. Not all of them, but, like, percentage-wise, they're doing way better than general public. Yeah, yeah, your pop. You know, it's like, oh, 5% of his followers died, 50% of everyone else dies by puking shit in the street. <laughs> um... <laughs> Why are his followers surviving, right? He got the way, man. Right? He got the way. Yeah, right? Exactly. So everyone's like, that's the Something guy. Something on to it, man. That's Something. the guy. And he gets, like, massively more popular. We're talking, like, nationally known fucking name. Mm-hmm. And everyone thinks it's the diet and the penance, right? Like, making yourself suffer so that God uh, has a better view of you as a person and that you don't get God's wrath via cholera, which is his curse on the human race, mm-hmm. right? Well, it turns out we know this now. We didn't know it back then. Cholera is a bacterial infection. More importantly, it's a bacterial infection that is only present in humans, not animals, just people. Mm-hmm. And the only way to spread it is through feces. Mm-hmm. And the most common way that people contract cholera from their fellow humans is drinking poop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to make this connection. Uh, drinking poop isn't like you use fertilizer for like like, like you blow up the bathroom, your toothbrush, <laughs> or like isn't somebody caught the poop, distilled it, and then put it in like the whiskey, and then somebody no, drank poop. It's literally because back poo then, particle because of the limited knowledge of science, water was thought of as cleansing. So if you gotta go take a shit, you go shit in the river, and it'll just and cleanse you- it away. And then the town downriver is drinking your shit. <sighs> People would throw their shit in the water because it'll clean the poop. You know? It magically does God, that. You put it in, it um, let me remind you, this was a worldwide pandemic. Asia, Europe, Africa. Because they drank poop. <laughs> Everybody in the world drank poop. This literally killed millions of people. Everybody drank puke. <laughs> I mean, like, well, I mean, like now, like, I'm, if it was puke, I wouldn't be surprised. Right. Like, poo water, puke water. Everyone's like, if you have to barf, just go barf in the river. Right? Yeah, the water will clean yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, everybody in the world is drinking poop. Pukey poop water. <laughs> they all puked and pooped themselves <laughs> to death. And they probably like threw the dead pukey poop bodies yeah, in I mean, the rivers. But it, it literally, was a coincidence yeah. because he told his followers to drink like rainwater. Oh, was, that's the thing—the rainwater. I didn't yeah, put yeah. that together. No, yeah. that was it. The reason that his followers survived the cholera epidemic it was like a, is because he told them to drink pure water, not just like dirty mm-hmm. river or tap water. Yeah. He told them to drink the purest water you could find. It was a correlation thing. Yeah, yeah it was a total coincidence. Yeah. So, Grahamism became a movement. Oh, it has a name now. Yeah, Grahamism. Grahamism. Mm. I'm picturing, like, public programming evangelical preacher. Exactly. Kind of yeah. This is Sly. Yeah, yeah. This is him. Yeah, they start up boarding houses full of his followers. Like, every city has... The head Grahamist. Grahamite boarding houses. Oh, Grahamite. Grahamite boarding houses. Yeah, exactly. And the note I wrote right here is, Houses chock full of fucking miserable vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> The whole thing, you had to be miserable. I was like, yeah. that's how you got by. Yeah, yeah, you slept on the floor because you're not allowed comfort or pleasure. Salt? Uh-uh. 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 No funsies. No. Uh-uh. No boozies, no flavors. No. They couldn't have salt? No. No, no, no spices. No salt? Unflavored vegetables, coarse ground homemade salt. whole wheat bread, and water salt? was the entire diet. <laughs> salt? Salt is bad. Salt lends you to the devil. Salt the is- devil. Sly also preached... That masturbation caused blindness no, no, no. Okay, and no, death. No, 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 no. You can't tell people not to masturbate. That's fucked up. When people don't masturbate, they wind up killing people. For example, last time I didn't masturbate, I was like, I'm definitely going to murder a cat. But and that was the last time. And it was like literally, literally yesterday. You can't. 
tell people they can't masturbate. So I told people they can't masturbate, or they'll get cholera and puke and shit themselves to death, and they believe pick your poison. Kill the cat. I bust in that, homie. I mean, I mean, he's just making me angry. I don't like people who tell me I can't eat salt and masturbate. You really reached the threshold here. Aggravated. Dude, there are two things that I care about in my life, and that's salt, salt and masturbation. masturbation. <laughs> we got a pillar. We got a pillar of strength know, How did here. you know I was going to Sarah, he was against alcohol, too. <gasps> yeah. Oh, yeah. What? Where's my wine? <laughs> anyway, that was a digression. This dude hated masturbation. Masturbation, the devil. Make you blind. Mm-hmm. And if you keep doing it after you're blind, which you would. No, I mean, yeah. If you already got that far. Right. Mm-hmm. But then it'll kill you if you do it enough. Right. And he published a book called On Self-Pollution in 1834, and it caused a moral panic oh, in the American no, South. No, 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 And that's why that's still an idiom today, by oh, the way. You've heard that before. Yeah, like, yeah. You, you do it too much, you, you go blind. blind. That's, that, that's this where, it started. Is where it came from. They actually believed it. Literally, it caused a big American panic. That's like, a terrible panic. Because, like, there's all kinds of panics. Right. That's a rough one. And now you got all these, like, testosterone-filled dudes... Balls full of anger. Yeah, they yeah. go blind and then they just start like killing people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He was also weirdly obsessed with bread. Yeah. Sly believed that powderized flour was evil. What kind of flour too fine. we use? Too fine. Too, too fine. fine. Like fine ground flour. Yeah, too fine. Only coarse flour. Coarse ground wheat flour you yeah. grind yourself at home. Don't go to the baker and buy bread. You have to make it yourself. Baker's the devil. He also objected to yeast because mm-hmm. yeast was used to make beer. Beer is evil. Therefore, yeast is evil, so you can't use yeast in your bread. So he made Irish stone bread. Hard, Hard fucking... Tastes yeah. like shit. He made hockey pucks. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Well, don't fuck this guy. Oh, he would be very angry. <laughs> <laughs> so he wrote a book called The Treatise on Bread and Bread Making in 1837, which was a bestseller, by the way, at the time. Bestseller. His whole idea was that simple... Bland, flavorless, completely unstimulating foods would keep you free from temptation and sin. Primarily the sin of masturbation. And he was enormously popular. He gave these big venue speeches in Boston, and so many people showed up that the hall was packed. They spilled out in the streets. There were just crowds blocking traffic trying to see this guy. They had little newsboys relaying every oh, yeah. every line. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bread makes you masturbate. Yeah, like that kind of shit. yeah no, for I've real. I've never it, masturbated more than when I was a vegan. Well, it's because well, you're he was lacking like, evil. Yeah. Because I was a little more evil no, to balance that's it out. That's because you're yeah. pure evil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so at these speeches in Boston, riots broke out because the speeches were attacked by giant angry mobs of butchers and bakers. <laughs> Oh, God. That's not the kind of mob you want. You know what? <laughs> Where were the candlestick makers? Masturbating in their bread? Under a delightful candlelight. I'm just picturing legions of, like, angry, shirtless butchers furiously wielding, like, cleavers and running at this crowd. The bakers are like, this cake, and they're like, plump bakers, (laughs) right? Rolling out into the streets, (laughs) covered in flour, (laughs) and cum. Furiously (laughs) masturbating. No, for real, it was a full-on <laughs> fucking riot Jeez, in Boston. I, I get it. Oh, my God. Because all these butchers are pissed off because their meat's not selling, and all these bakers are pissed off their bread's not selling, yeah. and they fucking attacked this throng of people. These angry bakers. 
I'm imagining the hats are still on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cops come break it up, yada, yada, yada. But it's just, it's a wild situation, right? We're not warring about religion. Hmm. We're not warring about nationality or politics, even. It's whether or not bread and meat is good or bad. And there were like riots. Yeah. Angry jerking off the chest. Simpler time, you know. <laughs> oh, man. Priorities. The 1800s were wild. Yeah. So, in 1852, Slygram died at the age of 57. And you'll never guess why. Cholera? Cancer? No. He died of an anal heroin overdose. Oh my god! The sneaky bastard. He's like, he, he puts this evil, he puts this evil on all these fuckers. He's like, no pleasure, no pleasure. Meanwhile, he's sticking some heroin needle up his asshole. He never said no heroin. No, no, he had what? taken to the idea, because he'd heard it from some of his cuckoo vegetarian friends, that opium enemas are good for cleansing the body. And so he had a No, no, no. At the time, it was not known as a drug. It was known as an herbal cure. And uh, it turns out if you get a couple opium enemas, you feel pretty good. And so you keep going back. Yeah, you forget about swords in your asshole. Right. So he died at the age of 57 in 1852 from from getting a buttload of heroin douched up his butthole. Is what I I wrote. (laughs) Literally a buttload Mm -hmm. of heroin. Right. So pretty soon after he died like that, his followers all kind of dissipated because they were like, I mean, uh, anal heroin overdose? Like, that was the limit for them? <laughs> so his movement kind of faded away, but he left a pretty long-lasting legacy. So this is considered the first American fad diet, you know, like the South Beach diet, oh, the fat diet, okay, no or shit. fucking keto, paleo, anything. Yeah, it's in our culture now. Beach on, body. You exactly. see him shortly yeah. after the uh, Price is Right ends, there's going to be yeah, fad diet. Yeah, 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 he's the first one. Yeah, And it's also the source of commonplace modern American anti-masturbation fear. Literally, the legend that you go blind if you masturbate too much is from this guy. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, it's still here. Like, people yeah. still tell their kids that. Mormonism took it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a common thing. Mm-hmm. Told- I'm highly pro-masturbation, so this, like, frustrates me. Here, here. <laughs> <laughs> and he's also still considered the founder of modern vegetarianism. Fuck this guy. <laughs> he literally or- is anti-everything that I love, which is getting orgasms, eating meat, Using meat to get orgasms. <laughs> Drinking. There you go. Fuck this guy. I'm mad. The most noticeable legacy that is still around today is not vegetarianism, is not fad diets, and it's not anti-masturbation fear. His followers, who read his books, created a whole bunch of bread products made of coarse ground whole wheat with minimal spices and flavorings, and they named them after him. Which is why we now, today, in every American home, have graham crackers. Oh, oh my goodness! That's crazy! You bitch! Fuck graham crackers. Was it because he was a cracker named Graham? (laughs) So, if there's anything to take from all this, it's that next time you see a box of graham crackers, remember that those were invented 200 years ago to stop you from masturbating. I feel like to rebel, I guess, is you should get a box of grab crackers. And then masturbate with them. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree. I agree top. completely. Yeah. yeah. Can you imagine no. trying to jack off with a grab cracker? <laughs> that's horrible. I feel yeah. like it's even more subversive. No matter I've... what joke he got, that's not going to Mouth gets all dry. Yeah. <laughs> I understand how it's like, somebody will eat that and be like, this makes me less sexy to myself. 
The history of graham crackers. Graham crackers. Yeah. Oh, there it is. Graham. Mm. What a fuck. Can I be somebody who's like into meat and is pro masturbation and my name is like Flash Slam? <laughs> I like Flash Slam. Flash Slam. I'm gonna do the Slam Cracker. I want Slam. The Slam Cracker. The Slam Cracker. I only but showed then, up because I heard you guys have some. This slam is the crackers? best pie ever. So. It's the Slam Cracker pie. We might have exaggerated the Craigslist sound a little bit. The Slam Cracker crust. <laughs> Hello, my name is Flash Slim, and welcome to my podcast. <laughs> Today I'm making a Flash Slim cracker crust. <laughs> Good lord. That was a beautiful end of we, that we, segment. We, <laughs> no, I, I actually love your story, because like, my story is like kind of in the same realm. Really? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to segment well. Wow. Yeah. Cool. This is a, a story about a man. Mm. With a plan? He did have a plan, but not very well thought out. That's actually got a whole principle of this. <laughs> is that oh, we're talking about a very successful guy who was born in 1747. Oh, yeah. Very, yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who ended up being very successful for no reason of his own. That's for damn sure. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm gonna tell you how it happened. So okay. this is, his name's Timothy Dexter. Like I said, he's born in 1747 to a really poor family of tanners, tan hides. Not like Dan Dan and Tanner. <laughs> yeah, they didn't live in like a townhouse in San Francisco. No, they had a tannery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, it wasn't like he was like dying in poverty or anything, but like he wasn't like a wealthy to-do person, you know. So he started an apprenticeship for leather working at the age of sixteen to make money for his family and whatnot. But he, he had bigger dreams. Mm-hmm. He, he had uh, ambitions, and in his early twenties, he stumbles across a much older Elizabeth Frothingham. Foo. <laughs> 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 Elizabeth yeah. Frothingham. Elizabeth Frothingham. Check me out on OnlyFansFrothingham.com. I mean, I'm in love already. I don't even know this girl. Mm. Like, so I get it, Timothy. So he meets this newly widowed Elizabeth Frothingham, mm. who... I can't take this name seriously. Okay. <laughs> this... We just call her Frothy Lizzie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so she is the widow of one of his former associates in the weather industry. So this basically this guy that he works with dies, and he just slides into this older lady like, so you got some money, what's up? Well, here she's frothy. Simply slide froth froth. A name like that. (laughs) (laughs) So he just marries her and stumbles into some money because she's rich as fuck. So after he marries this woman, he moves into this wealthy neighborhood, Charleston. It's in Boston, just before the Revolutionary War happened. Okay. So he kind of gets into this neighborhood, and, like, he's all about himself, and, like, is just trying to, like, be about this wealthy community. And none of the people are, like, about him, because he's coming in here all strong-cocked, and they're like, dude, you just married this old bitch. Random jack-off. Yeah, like, like who the Dexter. fuck are you? Yeah. yeah, and he's like, no, like, I belong here. And, like, so he's just trying to prove himself the whole time. Mm. So he's surrounded by all these bureaucrats, all these people in, like, politics. So like, he's like, one way I can, like, start making it for myself, I got to get into government. Like, I got to get myself a position. A title. He needs a title. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So he just starts sending countless letters every day to the neighboring town of Malden, being like, give me a position, give me a position. They get so annoyed with him. This on his persistence that they make up a position. What? <laughs> Stop. Yeah. All right, just shut the fuck up and, and create this position called the Informer of Deer. D-E-E-R? D-E-E-R. With the antlers. Informer of Deer. Informer of Deer, where he's responsible just letting the governing body know about the deer population <laughs> in the town of Malden. Shut the fuck up. I was picturing him standing out in the field like, hey, you're a deer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that deer has been informed. <laughs> So at this time, there hadn't been a deer sighted in Malden for 19 years. <laughs> so they say, all right, your informer deer stops in his letters. Leave us alone. Keep an eye on the deer. He's stoked. <laughs> 
I am the informer of the year of Malden. And yeah, you, no, you will address me as so. Yes. And <laughs> <laughs> so this is where he starts getting his confidence. He's building it up. By the way, the whole time, he's just kind of listening to these rich neighbors who all hate him. And he's just like trying to figure out how do I make my money? How do I get my start? And in this time, kind of pre-revolutionary, there is a continental dollar. It was pre-dollar. Yeah. So yeah. it was mm-hmm. it was like, okay, this is our currency. And like, it was kind of made up. It was and made out of toilet paper and shit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so they were paying all the soldiers from the Revolutionary War in this. And then during the war, you didn't know if you're going to win the war or not. Like, it's a fucking war, you know? So the inflation was crazy. They were just pumping these dollars in and nobody knew if it was valuable or not. Like, they could just disappear any day. Right. So at one point, the dollars were worth fractions of pennies. Mm-hmm. And so the people around him, because they're all bureaucrats and Politicians. Some of them were investing in it just to boost public confidence right. in this dollar. Like, okay, if people are going to believe in it, we have to believe in it. So we're right. going to buy a chunk of this. Show of faith. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He sees this and he says, fuck it. He takes all his <laughs> life savings and this widow's life savings. He takes all their money, buys all these continental dollars. Stop. He's like, so he sees his neighbors just putting a little bit of money in this. He's like, oh, yeah, just put the money yeah, in yeah. Here's all my money. Take all of it and the farm. Yeah. <laughs> The legal deer observer? Deer informer. Informer, yeah. Deer informer. You will address him as such. (laughs) So he just invests it all. This is his first stroke of luck. There's a few more to follow here. Okay. Is that they win the Revolutionary War. I'd say War. second because he married Liz Frothy. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Mm. It would be, I guess Frothy old Liz. Saying, yeah. <laughs> so Alexander Hamilton takes over the economy of the developing country. Mm. And they had all these soldiers and stuff. That, mm. That's all he had were these dollars. So he decides the United States will now buy these dollars at 1% of their value. Mm. Which is a penny to a dollar. But he bought them at fractions of pennies because he invested so much of his money. So when they bought it back from a penny, his wealth just exploded. It wasn't like he was smart. He was like, oh, I think this is a good idea. He's like, these guys are doing I'm going to do it. And it turned out to randomly be extremely profitable. So now this guy's rich as fuck. <laughs> and so now he's like, I'm in this neighborhood. And I got money. So he buys this crazy, nice, like, estate with all this land. And he hires this artist to carve 40 giant wooden statues. 40? Yeah, 40. Of, like, American heroes. So you got George Washington, John Adams, and, like, he's paying, like, this guy $2,000 a statue, which right. which actually turned out to be twice as much as he paid for the estate. Right. <laughs> like, right. He's right. just, like, he's all about the principle. And uh, not to be outshined by all these heroes and, you know, well-to-doers, he has the last statue be of himself. <laughs> Clearly. In his eyes, he's a fucking deal. If I had made those decisions, it would be me at the end of the production line, mm-hmm. but I'd be like, just give me like a massive dick. Yeah. Like, That's pretty much what he did. Because on his statue, he made sure there's a plaque which read, I'm the first in the East and the first in the West and the greatest philosopher in the Western world. What the fuck? <laughs> Wait, this you is, piece of shit. This is Dexter. <laughs> Timothy Dexter. Tim Dexter. The, the, what is it? Informer of deer. <laughs> <laughs> Needless to be said, he's never philosophized about anything. Right. Yeah. So in this time of his life, he, he's all full of himself. He starts to get crazy. Parties and shit all his house. His yeah. wife gets tired. She doesn't even live with him anymore. She's like, I'm fucking out of this. What, Frothy Liz is out? I mean, like, they're still married. Uh, but she's like, okay, you're nuts. I'm going to move over here. Like, yeah. She's going to go live her frothy life any yeah. way she wants. Yeah. She moves off, and so, like, he just fills the house with his friends. Everybody in the area hates him. Like, nobody wants him there. They're all like, fuck this guy. So he did, like, he's got this house of, like, misfits that, like, appreciate him. As you can imagine who those people are. Uh, a few examples. So one was, like, an officer's mistress who, I guess, had a double set of teeth and also what? a chicken as a pet. So he... <laughs> Like, 
like comes on the teeth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Like she takes one out and she has an extra. I, I'm actually like unclear on that. I was actually like, so I, I only read this. It could either be two sets of teeth and like one was like cooler than the other, and like so she had like her work teeth and like uh-huh. party teeth. Yeah. Or she had two rows of teeth like a shark. Word is unclear either way. Weird. She's weird. Yeah. 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 Also, they I had like the a, idea of party teeth. A fortune teller. She actually was like some war hero, kind of like the first woman to fire a cannon in war. I heard farted in war. <laughs> fired a cannon. Okay. She actually was kind of cool. She was the first woman. But then, like, That's cool. But so with all her coolness, ended up just being a fortune teller. And a man who was there only to write poems about him. Jesus Christ. With no credibility. <laughs> he was not a poet. He's not before good before he started doing this, he was a fishmonger and a <laughs> and sold pornography. So. <laughs> Great guy, great guy. I yeah, so I mean, I, I, I mean, I would go to that party. <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't know if I'd live there. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually the start of his business adventures. Like this is like, so this, I'm saying like he, he stumbled across this money, and then he's like, okay, now I want to. Okay. Now I want to be the businessman. Fuck it, I'm gonna be a merchant, and he ends up purchasing these trade ships, you know, merchant ships. Yeah. And he's like, I'm gonna start selling shit. It's usually a good investment. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, he doesn't really know what he's doing. He's just kind of like faking it. So while he's in this neighborhood, like he's listening to all these fucks who only want him to fail. Mm. So what do they do? They give him terrible advice. So they had these warming pans in this time. You know, you're Boston. It's cold in the winters. Mm. What they have is these uh, big pans with lids on them that you put coals in, Mm. put them under your bed, and it warms your bed while you're sleeping. Right, right, right. I heard of these. Yeah. And they say, you should sell them to the West Indies, which is the Caribbean, you know. Right. It doesn't get cold there. That's the stupidest investment. Yeah, yeah. Put it full of ice cubes? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So they give him this terrible advice. Yeah, yeah. Smart man. Smart man. Good ideas. And and so he takes all these warming pans, no less than 42,000 of these things, and... They don't know what the fuck these things are. But one thing about over there is they have all these sugar and molasses plantations. Yeah. It's a big industry there. These guys see these pans. He's trying to sell it. Like, huh? They start using it as oh, labels. That's to smart. To, to churn this molasses. And they're like, this is a good tool here. This batch and is so lucky. Yeah. He just rebrands it. Yeah. Sells a huge markup. Oh, that's fucking genius. To no fault of his own. Makes a shit ton more money. Like, he already <laughs> had a, He's like, fucking A, I'm a genius. Kills it. <laughs> Kills that mission, you know, mission one, success, mm. and comes back, same kind of shit, like, he's just kind of in this community where everybody is like, fuck this guy, like, probably bullshit. angrier now. Yeah, so he goes back, and then he gets one of these other things, where it's like, oh, I heard these guys talking about blah, 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 somebody mentions he should take a bunch of coal and sell it to Newcastle. It was actually, like, an ongoing joke that obviously he didn't know about, like, selling coal to Newcastle, because they have one of the biggest coal mines there at yeah, the time. Yeah, huge. So, like, it was like a big joke, oh, yeah, you yeah. should just try to sell coal to Newcastle. Right. Oh, I should try to sell coal to Newcastle? You're selling apples like, to Washington. So, yeah. <laughs> Dexter. Yeah, oh, all right. <laughs> So he fills his ships full of coal and sends them to Newcastle. He gets there. Coal miners go on strike. Stop. He's got ships full of coal when the mines have no coal to sell. (laughs) Sells his coal on a huge markup. (laughs) Timothy Dexter gets it again. Timothy Dexter can't fail. No, yeah. This asshole. (laughs) Meanwhile, he's got his fucking butlers making sure the wood doesn't rot. And his fucking nice statue of himself. Because he was, as he says himself, the greatest philosopher in the West. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to make sure that wood don't rot. <laughs> and then actually what they say is after that, he actually did start to learn a little bit about business. So he wasn't really as easy so. to get fucked with. with that the one. fact that he got in the elite of the elite on complete fortune of idiocy. Yeah. <laughs> All his adventures were still weird as fuck. He liked to be the oddball. So, like, at that point, like, he embraced it. Yeah. Some of his other adventures, 
include wrangling stray cats and then send them to the Caribbean and they ended up needing those to like keep rats out of the warehouses and shit. Right, they were still, yeah. for cats Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like weirdly successful in the stupidest ways. Yeah. Oh yeah, you also purchased like tons of whale bones and then like the French corset became popular which I guess they use whale bones to make yeah, a French they do, corset. They do, they do actually. Yeah, the lifetime of these misadventures of just finding uses for stupid shit by kind of getting close to the end of his life. He's not like done being successful. Like he wants to be immortal. Like he's, mm. So he, he writes, I don't know if you call it a memoir. I mean, it wasn't autobiography kind of not an autobiography. I don't know what you call it. I'll give you a sample and you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it was basically just like a drunken jumble of words criticizing the clergy, his wife, other politicians. A 14-year-old's diary. Hardly. Like, a 14-year-old would be way more coherent. It had complete lack of punctuation, not a single period or comma in it at all. Random capitalization. And he could not spell. He could not write. So it was like a mumbling, jumbling of just, like, words not making sense. And it became so popular based on its ridiculousness that they did a second edition. And because of all the criticism about how terribly it was written, he added another page of just punctuation marks of different <laughs> kinds and he told people to just add them in as they pleased. <laughs> so. so the name of this piece which actually is more coherent than like probably anything else in it is A Pickle for the Knowing Ones. <laughs> you can find it online for free so I encourage everybody to kind of go a and like, we get, like we'll link to it. It's painful to read. I'm just going to read the first line because I can read any line and be ridiculous. I'll just read the first one. To mankind the time is come at last, the grat day of regoising. <laughs> what is that why I will tell you thou's three kings in raised, raised, you mean, should know raised on the first royal ark in the world almost not quite, but very hue. <laughs> Up upon, so they are a good remark, to be seen the woman's like, to see the frount and all people loves, to see them as the Quaker... Like, I can't... There's no period, so I don't know what You're doing great! <laughs> this is the greatest philosopher of the West. Right, of course. Enlightening the masses. I feel as he shouldn't. As he should. Yeah. Of, about how he got and why he is observer of deer, <laughs> Lord <laughs> Timothy Dexter. Ah. He didn't die super old. But uh, when he was getting up there, he um, he staged his own death. And uh, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, he made a funeral for himself without actually being dead, just to see how people would react. Well, then, <laughs> did they attend that funeral? Oh yeah, people dead? showed up, and and and, uh, <laughs> and unfortunately for his wife, he gave a good like an honor because she didn't cry enough. <laughs> At his, but, but, at his fake funeral. So like Frothy Liz? Yeah, Frothy Liz showed up. And, he and convinced his wife that he was dead. He convinced No, he didn't convince her. She knew. But because she didn't cry enough, she got a good, what, for? Then Why didn't you cry at my funeral? Like, <laughs> Tim, you were I, right there. Like, <laughs> I can see you. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. That's the life and blessing that we are as Americans to have Timothy Dexter as one of us. Timothy goddamn Dexter. Did, okay. <laughs> Tara's still processing <laughs> It's like every, like, idiot rich kid that you had in high school. Mm -hmm. So many. They, like, randomly just, like, become some sort of 
middle yeah. management in charge of too many people that he doesn't deserve kind of thing, but right. to the 10th power. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Senior VP of minor you got a title. I middle mean, of product development. Obviously not nearly as elite as the deer observer of Molten or whatever. No, no. Yeah, I mean, one can never come close. (laughs) (laughs) Because if there was a deer, they would know. He'd observe the shit. (laughs) (laughs) And he loved it. Stupidly lucky idiot floating his way through life. Somehow making it good, even though he is the kind of jackass who thinks he's the greatest philosopher of the West. (laughs) Cool story, bro. Asshole who has a great first name. By the way, you don't deserve that shit, you piece of shit. Meat and masturbation are fantastic and beautiful and go hand in hand. But you invented a fantastic pie crust for the holidays. Fuck you, Slygram. Thank you for the pie crust. How do you hate alcohol? (laughs) Cool story, bro. Uh, Badass motherfucker military dude from Australia. Tatted and all. Forgets his murderous ways to stick up for the animals of Africa. Recruits a superhuman force of miraculous women to save these wondrous animals from evil poachers. Cool story, bro. That, that's it. That was fun. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. We're all pretty good storytelling, honestly. Mm-hmm. When we were hanging out, we just tell stories about the bar. That's and what we do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's one time on the way to Maggot Fest. Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs>